Hello, Regeneration. 2021 doesn't seem to be off to a very good start. Uh, as many of you have witnessed really disturbing events already this year, and we're not even two weeks in. Been doing a little bit of research about peace and um, found that there's this institution, it's called the Institute for Economics and Peace. They produce a report called the uh, Global Peace Index, and it tracks things such as ongoing conflict, safety and security, militarization, amongst other things. And it's a very fascinating report that you can find if you just plug in Global Peace Index 2020 in your search. And what they have found is that we've experienced the ninth deterioration in peace, peacefulness in the last 12 years. And that peacefulness has declined since 2008. That seven out of the nine regions in the world became less peaceful over the past year. That globally there has been a sharp rise in civil unrest over the last decade. And it looks like 2021 will be another year of deterioration in peacefulness, another year of decline in peacefulness. We're less than two weeks into 2021, and we've witnessed illegal, unethical, immoral, unbiblical acts of anarchy, violent acts that join in the serpent's agenda to bring chaos and to self-define what is good, what is right, what is true, what is beautiful, what is real. Ten days into 2021, and we've already clearly witnessed acts of injustice and acts of unrighteousness. For most people, there's a longing for peace. That we would want harmony, whether it's in our home, our workplaces, the cities that we live in. But we all know that it's not all that peaceful. In the last 10 months, I've actually done more pastoral counseling for marriages, for parent-child relationships, relationships within households than I've ever done in 20-plus years of pastoral ministry. And there is a lot of strife within the household, within families, and probably less strife in your workplace since most people are working remotely, but I have been speaking with many who are not happy with their work. This time of COVID has allowed people to evaluate what they're doing for work, and, and it has them contemplating what they're doing with their life and if they want to continue doing that. So just a lot of strife all around us and a lack of peace, whether it is in the home or out in the world, that the, the facts speak for themselves. And there isn't anyone who can effectively debate that we live in a more peaceful world today. We, we know that it's a broken world. We see it all around us. And I think everyone listening can agree that the world needs fixing. It needs healing. There are things that are really broken about it. Where people tend to disagree is how it became this way and the solutions for how it's going to be fixed. So today we look at the latter part of Ephesians chapter 2 and what the Bible has to tell us about peace. And as always, God 
has this way of lining up his word that we're going through to address what is happening in the present. That as we're in the middle of this hostility chaos and a time when broken people are attempting to self-define what is good, righteous, and just, these broken people who are attempting to define peace and how to attain it, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our peace. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 14. For he himself is our peace. You notice that peace isn't something, that it's found in someone. Peace isn't found in something that we do for ourselves. It is found in someone who provides it for us. And look at what Jesus does at the end of verse 15. Making peace, and then the beginning of verse 17, preached peace. We're told of Jesus in the Old Testament where one of Jesus' many names is the Prince of Peace, found in Isaiah. And we looked at the names of Jesus during Advent, and we could have looked at this particular name, Prince of Peace, but there were so many to cover. It just wasn't one of the names that we shared during Advent. But so many people to attest of how Jesus brought peace to their lives, all throughout the Scriptures. Paul, the writer of this letter, being one of them. Paul, prior to his conversion, was not a peaceful person. He was someone full of hatred, full of hostility, causing chaos to early Christians, to those who believed Jesus to be the Christ. He persecuted believers, throwing them into prison, endorsing their deaths, very hostile, very violent, bringing chaos into people's lives until Jesus changed his heart. Jesus who is peace, makes peace, and preaches peace. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, Jesus offers the world peace. He offers the world himself He's the answer to how the world gets fixed, how the world gets peace. But he gets rejected. He gets rejected in his own time, and he continues to get rejected today. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. People in Jesus' day had the scriptures telling them of the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Today we have the scriptures telling us of the same one who provides peace. And I imagine Jesus still weeping for the many places that we live in, for the things that are happening. And yet so many still turn their back away from Jesus that they don't believe, they don't have the faith to trust in his word. So many people have been fooled to think that the solutions to peace are found in themselves. That they are the answers to peace. That we are the answers to peace. And yet, so many, as evidenced by the amount of pastoral counseling I've been doing these past 10 months, more than in the last 20 years, can't even find peace around their own dinner table. 
How, how can there be peace in the world? And that, that's just simple truth, isn't it? Here's, here's some more truth. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's truth. And this is why Paul was able to write Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The peace Christ has brought between people and God is also peace he brings between two enemies, people. And this is the miracle that happened between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. People had witnessed the peace between these two enemies, people groups, who were once hostile towards one another. People who physically separated from one another because there was so much animosity and resentment toward one another. But through Christ, in Christ, there was peace. This is what Christ does. How are we living in peace with one another? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ really in us? It was in that once separated church. That early church where there were Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and there was still all this background in history, culture and race that prevented them from coming together in community. But then Christ entered into the picture. Once hostile towards one another and now making peace in Christ through Jesus Christ. Let's look back to verses 14 and we'll read through uh, 16 in Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And now you look at these phrases in verse 14. Who has made us both one. And then verse 15. Create in himself one new man in the place of two. A new creation. A new community in Jesus from these once enemies to a oneness. That God created a new community. God reconciles people to himself and God reconciles people to one another. And this is what the church is to do. We help in this process of people reconciling to God and to reconciling with each other. The church is to help fix this brokenness through Jesus Christ. And here's something to keep in mind about the church and about us. We are broken too. We are going to mess up these processes of reconciliation and and I just need to throw that out to you and let you know that because we are so imperfect and we are broken ourselves but it does not mean that we don't try that we don't try to help and actually this posture of realizing that we're going to mess up and that we're broken ourselves it helps us to keep a posture of humility because so often we go out there thinking that we know it all. 
that we're going to be the saviors, when Jesus is the savior. And, and we need to humble ourselves to, to say we, we don't have all the answers, but, but we want to try. We want to try to contribute and, and we want to listen. That we, we need to rely on God in, in all of our efforts, in our attempts to help. That it isn't us so that we boast of ourselves, as Ephesians says, but that God is at work. Now take a look back at verse 14 at what Jesus did. Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus has broken down on the cross the dividing wall of hostility. And it's these figurative walls of hostility as well as the literal walls of hostility that Jesus breaks them down. Jesus gives us access to peace with God. Jesus gives us access to peace with one another. Access to God, literally, when the curtain in the temple tore in two. That was also figurative. And that that was showing that through the cross that we have access to God now through Jesus Christ. That Jesus gives us access to peace with one another, tearing down our walls of hostility through the cross. That in Christ's death, that any symbolism within a dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And we look at an example of this between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. There once was this wall in the temple that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. That wall was full of symbolic separation, as well as physical, literal separation. And it was torn down figuratively in Christ's death and also torn down literally in 70 AD by the Romans. And the Mosaic laws separated the Jews from the Gentiles. They were a holy people given a holy land. They were distinct. They were set apart from everyone else. Holy. Does not mean that they are better than someone in terms of someone's humanity. It just means that they were not common people. The Gentiles were common people. The Jews were holy people. But this was just a temporary arrangement God had with the Jews pointing to this divine plan in Jesus Christ. Christ who breaks down the wall so that the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians are both a new creation in Christ. And now Jesus Christ is the mediator of us all, whether that's between God and us or between our enemies. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Do you see the miracle that happened in the early church? It was miraculous to have Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians becoming one that's miraculous. There are thousands of years here, generation upon generation of hostility toward one another. And now they're together, worshiping together, praying together, fellowshipping, sharing, caring, loving together. It has never happened before this. And Christ Jesus broke down that dividing wall of hostility, bringing two enemies together to be one through him let's take a look at the second phrase in verse 15 create in himself one new man in place of the two and this is what Jesus does enemies who once fought 
who called each other names, who did not look at each other favorably, are now together as one. Christ on the cross reconciles us to God. Christ on the cross reconciles us to each other, that Jesus Christ makes this possible. What brings us together is Christ. There were a lot of things that separated Jews from Gentiles. We talked about circumcision a few weeks ago. There, there are their laws, there are their diets, their celebrations and feasts, their meeting places. There are all these differences. But Christ brought them together. The things that once divided, Christ brought them together. And it wasn't perfect. Just as our church isn't perfect, because if it was, then Paul wouldn't have had to write this letter to the Ephesians. We're messed up. We're broken. But hopefully we are progressing. We're moving forward in being peacemakers. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus came to preach to those who were far off, namely Gentiles, commoners, and those who were near, Jews, holy, Jesus is peace, he makes peace, he preaches peace. But Jesus has to be believed and accepted for that peace. We can have peace in Jesus Christ through belief in him and acceptance of him. What Jesus Christ did on the cross is of no value to the person who does not believe and who does not accept. Verse 18. For through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. We all have access in one spirit to the Father through Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles meaning everyone else. Everyone else who's not Jewish. And notice who we have access to. It's not where we have access to or what we have access to. It's who God the Father It's not this idea. It's not this philosophy we have access to. It's a person. We're not accepted into a club, into a church, into a building. We're being invited into this relationship with God. Now the Jews believe the temple is where a person gets access to God. And that's why the temple was so important to them. But that temple was destroyed a long time ago, 70 AD, 2,000 years ago. We don't meet with God at a particular place. We meet, God with, we meet with God through a relationship made possible through Jesus Christ. And whether separation a person has with God, Jesus Christ breaks down that wall of hostility, gives access to God. And the same between any division between enemies, people. That in Jesus Christ, he breaks down that wall of hostility just as he did for Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and he makes them one. Christ brings sinners to God, reconciles sinners to God. Christ brings broken people together as one, reconciles them. He reconciles broken people who were once enemies to be brought together as one regardless of race, ethnicity, political views, dietary restrictions, whatever it may be. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. 
There are only two relationships with God. You are either an enemy, irreconciled, or you are a friend, reconciled. Where are you today? Where are you with God today? This is the most important relationship to address right now. Especially if you are not at peace with God. If you are not at peace with God, you are an enemy. And if you are right with God, then you'll have the spirit to lead you in how to reconcile with enemies, with the people around you. And without God, how are you going to do that as a broken person? Look at our world today. It is full of brokenness. Verses 19 through 21. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. There are these transitions, these three very important timestamps in chapter 2. Now last week, there were two of them in verses 11 and 13. Today we have the third one in verse 19. I had to wait until today to share it with you so that I can include it, include verse 19. But you notice these timestamps, and the first one is in verse 11, where it says, at one time. The second is in verse 13, but now... And then verse 19, so then. So let's look at at one time first. And this refers to a time when we Gentiles did not believe in God. When we didn't belong to God's family. And there was a time when who we were and what we did testified to this very fact that we were without God. Paul wrote about this in verses 1 through 3 in Ephesians 2. Let's Go back up those verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were godless. We were hopeless. Look at verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Godless and hopeless. And this was at one time. And then comes the second timestamp in verse 13. But now... Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. At one time, separated from God, but now reconciled to God in Christ Jesus through the cross by which Christ took our sins upon himself to be a ransom for our sins. For those who believe in Christ, we are at peace with God. We are at peace with one another, I hope, because we have access to peace. 
who makes peace, who preaches peace. Christ who breaks down the walls of hostility just as he did for those Jewish Christians and those Gentile Christians, whether it was because of class, race, culture, Jesus unites as one in himself, which brings us to this third timestamp. So then, verse 19, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There's not only a change in our nature, there's also a change in our citizenship, a change in our status. You see that our believing in God has us belonging to God. That you are no longer strangers, you are no longer aliens, you are no longer that person at one time. This is a huge change of identity. There is a real and noticeable change between being a non-believer and a believer in Christ Jesus. When a person is in Christ Jesus, there is a significant difference from who they once were at one time that you've gone from being dead to alive. But now, it's to be noticed. There needs to be a noticeable change. Now, it doesn't mean that you have some dramatic conversion story. For some people, there are some amazing dramatic conversion stories. But there is a meaningful change. Because you remember at one time that things were different then. And they have to be different because you were dead, but now you're alive. And that's a big change. You move from being lost to found. From darkness to light. Those are big differences. Big differences to be aware of. Not just yourself, but the people around you to notice that there are some big differences. This is something for the believer to know. The believer also knows the mercy and the love of God. Take a look at verse 4, Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. This is part of the big change in identity. Knowing the rich mercy and the great love of God changes who we are. Changes us from who we were at one time to who we now are. But now, we are now at peace with God. We are to be at peace with others. We're, we're changed people. A changed person doesn't have to ask, why do I have to make peace with somebody? Why do I have to go to church? Why is going to church important? Of course, there are things that need to be improved upon in terms of how we become peacemakers and, and how we are the church. But, but you have to remember, we're broken too. We're broken. But a changed person asks different questions. Like, where can I be with God's people to do God's work? No church is perfect. 
But when you go on a business trip or when you go on vacation, these sorts of people look to be with God's people to continue extending peace, to look for opportunities to be peacemakers, to be with each other so that we can fellowship with one another, worship the same God together and pray and study the Bible together. See, non-believers don't look to do this. They don't think about going to church. They're not holy. They're common. They do what everyone else is doing. They haven't been changed. See, there's a, there's a change in the believer, and it is dramatic in that you're doing things on a Sunday, for example, that most people aren't doing. I look forward to that day when we can meet again, and I think it'll be a wonderful reunion. That we're not just getting together just to get together, but there are things that we need to do. And yes, we're going to worship, we're going to fellowship, we're going to pray, we're going to study the Bible together. But we also need to get busy about being peacemakers, about loving our world and our community. Our old nature, that at one time person, is not interested in gathering together again. Our new nature, the but now and so then, is looking forward to it. Looking forward to a time of grace among one another and extending mercy and extending love, being like Jesus. And even though it's very difficult to have this sort of a relationship with those who are at enmity with God and at enmity with one another, the church is to be where peace treaties can be made. It's a, to be a place of grace, to be a place of mercy and great love. It's a place where we declare the salvation we have in Christ Jesus and that Jesus Christ is our Lord. It's, it's where we proclaim the gospel. It's a place where we can remember who they were at one time, but now, so then. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That phrase there, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We were once, we were once stateless. But now we are citizens of God's kingdom. And again, there's this noticeable change that, that you know that you belong. You know, when you have a, a passport and you have your respective passport from your, your country and you, you enter your own country that you have citizenship in, there's a different feeling, a, a different knowledge of where you're at. And there are some things that you're more comfortable with in terms of like the privileges and the benefits that come with that in that there's less paperwork to fill out. You don't have to wait in that long line that everyone else has to wait in. 
that you wait in the citizen's line. That there's a comfort and a belonging with fellow citizens. And I look forward to being together again and to be with my fellow citizens, my fellow saints, members of the household of God. I look forward to speaking face to face again. And, and, but I have to confess something personally. I've, I've liked this um, mask thing. I, I've liked that. And I, I'm actually hoping that it continues. I've just had too many people spray at me. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I'm going to vote for keeping the mask. And if you don't like it, then when you talk to me, just don't spray me. And if you spray me, then I'm going to hand you a mask. I'm going to start carrying a pocket full of masks, and I'm going to hand them out. But I do hope, and I look forward to being together again. And if you don't have that same hope, pray. Deal with some business with God as to why you feel the way that you feel. As a church, we need to share this belonging. Share this citizenship. To invite others to be fellow citizens. To, to get all the benefits of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. To invite others to be members of the household of God. And receive all the privileges of being part of the family of God. Belonging to the family of God. Being a citizen. Being a part of a family. Those are two different things. Right? There, there's, there's intimacy in family. We're, we as a church, we're a pretty diverse group of individuals and we're all brought together in peace. Even in our differences that drive us apart by, by the uniting power of Jesus Christ. And this is the church. That we are siblings in Christ. Something about siblings. Even ones that love each other and are very close. They fight. But healthy siblings realize their family. And they're to work things out. Good parents guide their children to work things out peacefully. And God is a good parent. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you can choose your friends but you can't choose your family. A lot of the time, it's the same thing for the church. It's the same exact thing for the church. You have no control of who walks through the door and, and sits down next to you or near you. And every family has that crazy aunt or that crazy uncle. It's the same thing for the church family. Every church has that crazy aunt, that crazy uncle. This is reality. And the truth is we don't fix others. We don't fix other people. We don't fix people we love. Right? Your, your, your kids. You don't try to fix them. We, we recognize God's chosen ones. That they are holy. That they are beloved. That they are set apart for God. Loved by God. And God fixes people. So who are we to be? We're not fixers of people. We do usher in peace to places that are chaotic and hostile. But let's look at Colossians chapter 3 starting in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, those are those people. We don't change them, but this is who we are to be. 
put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Christian, fellow brother, fellow sister in Jesus Christ, I know you want peace. Do you have peace in your home? Do you need to reconcile with your spouse, your parent, your child, sibling? And before we go any further with judging what's going on in the world regarding peace, how about we just look inside of our own home? Just a much more attainable place to usher in peace, a good place to start for it to work out from us, and yet still so miraculous. It would be encouraging to hear of some of these miracles down the line of this faith step that you're taking towards peace. Some keys to remember. Who you once were at one time, but now. So then, we have an extremely rich legacy of peacemakers, reconcilers, restorers, healers. Take a look at verses 20 through 22. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, we're, we're these pieces to the holy temple in the Lord and, and Christ Jesus is this cornerstone. We are being built together into this dwelling place for God. And, and where is this dwelling place? It's the church. Us. Not this structure, but us. Living stones. Living stones globally. So that no matter how different we are from someone, somewhere else, that what unites us is Christ. And when there are differences that seem to be so insurmountable, Christ breaks down the walls of hostility. And we find peace in Christ. And can extend peace to one another, just as the Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians did. Something about stones. They don't always fit together very well. Some stones are really jagged, and they're hard and they're sharp it's going to take some work to fit well it's going to take some chipping away it's going to take some shaping, molding and we are to be a place where all living stones can find a place of belonging, a home 
And right now, we are in a world full of chaos, full of hostility, and it's full of dead stones. And so for the church, now is the time for us to step into hostility and into chaos. And this is what we were created for. We were created for a time like this, to speak to a world that is godless, hopeless, stateless, friendless. We are the church. We are his people, God's people. We, the church, meet here, hopefully soon. But the church is not this building. You're all out there. The church, you're all out there. You're all living stones. Jesus is our peace. He makes peace. He preaches peace. And we are to remember who we were at one time. But now, so then, let's pray. Prince of Peace. You are our peace. You make peace. You preach peace. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower, equip your church to be what the world needs at this time. We know who we once were at one time, but now the Prince of Peace has brought us peace between God and people and makes it possible for people to have peace with one another. So then, Lord, we need you. Our country needs you. Our church needs you. The people within our church need you. We all need you, Lord. Help us to submit to your will, your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we take communion, I'd just like us to meditate on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. And let me read that for us. I'm just going to take a little moment to reflect and have you think through those things before we take communion. Reads this. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. you sit with those verses and we have our communion elements reminding us of the peace that Jesus Christ brought by being broken on the cross which this bread symbolizes may we strive for peace as the costly sacrifice of Jesus Christ allowed us to even be in this position to do so. Let's take this together. The 
fruit of the vine. And as we take this, looking in within ourselves to see that there is no root of bitterness, that resentment within that we would do our business with the Lord. And if that's still there, then save the communion for another time and get right with God. But as you're dealing with those things within yourself, and you find that you are postured to be in a good place to continue walking with God, striving for peace, I encourage you to take this. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, you know that your church is imperfect and that's why you had to come for us, you being perfect. We pray, Lord, for your presence with us. We know that we're going to make mistakes. But I pray, Lord, that the efforts would be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.